0: I have my Dreamer hoodie on today, for anybody who's interested. This is my my Dreamer hoodie. You can get it on our website. Go there.
1: Go there, www.evokepc.com. So welcome to Coffee and Cones. Welcome back, episode two.
0: Welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining us um, at Evoke Performance Collective, Coffee and Cones, comma, no, not comma, colon, Color Guard with Conan.
1: Yippee! Dink, dink. So,
0: (laughs) what are we drinking this morning?
1: We are both drinking the same thing. I know last time I said, what are you drinking? But we're both drinking the same thing.
0: Um, It is the Target brand, Good & Gather, from their Market Fresh Pantry line. Um, It's the caramel macchiato coffee blend, and it is super tasty. So, I'm a coffee snob, but also, I'm frugal. And so, if there are dupes (laughs) out there of like, it tastes like such and such, but it's $6.99 instead of $12, I am all about that. And that's where the caramel macchiato comes in. (laughs) Okay. It's um, February. It is February. February.
1: Well, actually, we had some housekeeping. We do
0: housekeeping. have housekeeping, some housekeeping things. So one of the things that I always encourage instructors to do um, is to watch what it is that you're doing. Record every practice, record your final run, record your basics, record your across the floors, all of it, and then go home and spend some time kind of obsessing over those things. I mean, I know it's m- the middle of the season and you're busy with a million different other things, but the more that you can reflect on your own own program's progress and staying on top of things, the better off you're going to be. And so one of the things that I do as the director of Evoke is every video that I produce, I go back and watch. Um, And I did that with our podcast from last week. Actually, I've listened to it obsessively, right? Um, And what I found is that there were some things in the podcast that we kind of talked about and then sort of brushed over or glossed over some of the more important things. And some of those things are going to lead us into our topic for Today for February, so I wanted to go back. One of the things that I wanted to talk about that we missed was the fan fold, um, and having your parents help you prepare to get on and off the floor. I saw um, a lot of commentary this week in some of the online Facebook groups. I saw others kind of talking about interval timing for competition and floor folding and all of those things. And how do you get in and off the floor, on and off the floor, in the right amount of time? Um, we talked about dress rehearsals last week, but I encourage you always to do it not only with your performers but with your parents that are going to be helping. And the most important thing about show day in terms of your floor and dress rehearsal and getting it set up is the fan fold. We called it the fan fold. Uh, somebody asked me what that was. They were like, well, what is the fan fold? Some people call it the show fold because mm-hmm. you're only folding it that way. It takes an extra amount of time. You have to plan it out at the rehearsal before your show. But it's a certain way of like accordion folding your floor um, so that when you pull it out, it just... And then it's done. You don't have to like, you're not flipping the floor. It's not getting stuck. You're not pulling. It's not, it's not like the whole thing. It just does it. And it helps your floor lay more flat on the contest floor. So like, obviously we're in the Midwest. Not everybody has the same weather conditions that we do. But how many times have you shown up to your competition and you go to unfold your floor on the competition floor and it's like wonky and kids are tripping over it because there's big like air bubbles and wedges and and, like, it's been sitting in a trailer where it's 40 degrees, 30 degrees outside and now it's frozen frozen and hard. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the fan fold helps you not have to deal with a lot of that. So check your fan fold, go to YouTube, type in color guard show fold or fan fold floor, and you'll see there are a host of videos that will tell you how to do it. Um, Like I said, it takes some time, but well worth it. I highly encourage it. It changed all of my show entries after that. So that was number one thing that I wanted to go back to. Two is we talked about, and this is kind of leading into our topic for February. We talked about um, when I was at Frasier and we had the kids who who um, did the show about homelessness and Mm -hmm. how they told us we were mocking homelessness. And like I said, as an instructor, that was hard to hear. And I was like, he doesn't appreciate my art. But what it did was tell me that I didn't do a good enough job with my art. And so I needed to go back like I did with the podcast last week (laughs) and review what it was that we had done. And I should have, had I known then what I know now, I should have gone back and said, well why? What should I do or what is your suggestion for how to make us not look like we're mocking people? What I did is I reached out to a friend of mine who's actually now on our staff, Iggy Quarter. I asked him, how do I get these, you know, middle class white kids from the suburbs to understand homelessness? Like this isn't something that really impacts certainly not their daily life and not really any part of their regular life. Um, and he said, take them to a soup kitchen, make them understand, let them meet the people that they're trying to portray so that they're not doing it in an offensive way and so we did that and this part of my housekeeping this week is just letting people out there in color guard land know that we did that we kind of checked ourselves and um we took them to three different soup kitchens two different locations on three different days and they all worked and they helped they made lunches they um delivered food they washed dishes they gave clothes and helped homeless people have showers and they gave them bagged lunches to take with them the next day i had a kid that came back and said there was this cute little old man and he was a war veteran and he kept calling me pudding all day like that's what they and so like for the rest of the season we called that student student pudding because like <laughs> they were like well that that homeless man gave you that name that's your character that's who you represent and that allowed that student to really kind of invest yeah. in her character so that when she went out on the floor she knew what her goal or objective was and so that kind of translates into what we're talking about today part of what we're talking about today and that is what happens in February so you You've gone to competition, right? You've gotten your score. You've gotten your critique and feedback. How in February do you build your score if it wasn't where you wanted it to be? You went out, you did the thing, you got the score and you (laughs) went... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> how do you fix that? Um, what are some of the things that you can do? How do you keep your kids physically and mentally ready to do the thing in February? Because it's cold. We're all sick. We're all tired. We had this big, huge like buildup. Like, it's competition. We're doing it. And then we had the first competition. And now we're like, cool. Well, we want to do that again. That was great. Uh, we don't want to put in time for basics. We don't want to spend time doing like the mundane things. We want to get that high from being back in the competitive environment. So how do we keep them motivated? to get them back to that point. And all of those things are things that we can do if we kind of follow just a few little things.
1: So we just got back from competition day and our scores, maybe they're not exactly what we expected them to be. How can I raise that score? What are some things that I can start doing right now basics always returning back to basics right that's that's your foundation everything stems from basics if you don't have solid basics you're not gonna have a solid show
0: Right. And I think we need to maybe back up just a little bit because I don't necessarily know that everybody understands why basics translate into every single one of your captions when you're competitive. Yeah. Right. So WGI's philosophy for judging is everything is judged in every caption. So that means that your movement is still judged in your GE and design captions. Your movement is judged in your equipment caption. Obviously, it's your body moving that's manipulating your equipment. Even things like performance achievement and performance quality and movement. Movement quality that absolutely impacts whether or not you have designed appropriate moments and whether or not you're achieving them from an effect standpoint so if your kids can't spin together from a basic we can do jazz walks and drop spins together they are not going to be able to spin and move and catch that toss and perform it well where the wall meets the ceiling staring up at the top level upstairs GE judge they're just not you have to start with the basics And one thing that's important to remember is that a lot of people think, oh, I went to competition, my show is on the floor, I don't need to do basics.
1: You need to do basics.
0: I mean, even world-class groups are still doing warm-up and basics blocks at WGI Finals. Like, they're still doing those same, I mean, they're not the same as what they would be doing in a December camp, obviously, in the middle of April Mm -hmm. or the end of March, but they're still doing them. They're still doing those warm-up blocks so that they understand, these are the places that my body needs to be in space, these are the muscles that I need to be articulating in a certain way on a certain count with everyone around me achieving that same thing through the same places in space at the same time. Mm And if you pay attention to, and I'm gonna plug us here for a yep. second at EPC, we've created our EPC Certified Program to train instructors. Um, and one of the kind of methods that I've put together, I call it the smoke and mirrors planning method. And I call it smoke and mirrors because a long time ago, Iggy talked about the fact that in color guard, you don't need to know necessarily how to do all of the things all of the time. It's smoke and mirrors, baby. That's all he used to say. <laughs> he'd come in, and I'd be like, I can't figure out how to make this moment work. And he'd be like, Smoke and mirrors, baby. I'll go fix it. And he had a way of being able to what we call highlight your skills and hide your deficits understanding how to plan so that you're all training and doing the same basics but that you're gonna have kids at different skill sets and learning how to highlight the kids that can do the thing and then maybe make the kids who can't achieve that same skill have a different skill that still shows that you can do kind of part of the skill but not all of the skill and then an additional part of the smoke and mirrors method is just making sure that you're following that basics plan, and so we talk about every month having a um, like a fraction dedicated to show versus training. Um, And so in the month of February, you should be at one third training and two thirds show. So what that equates to is if you have six hours of rehearsal time a week, a third of that or two hours is dedicated just to basics. And then the rest, the other four is dedicated to your show. Now, if you've spent time in this kind of like smoke and mirrors planning, you've spent in January half of your time on training and half of your time on show. And if you back it up into December, you're at two thirds, training and one third show so that by the time you get to a point where you have more time to spend on your show you've already spent a ton of time doing basics so that show work and equipment choreography or movement choreography that you're laying on them should be based on all those basics that you've spent time doing so then it's just hey kids remember in December when we learned this thing and we've been practicing it across the floor now it's going to be part of your show and we're going to layer oh this equipment basic that we've been doing since October we're going to layer that equipment basic on top of this movement basic here is your show choreography (gasps) And they can do it. And it's relatively clean at that point because they've been practicing it stationary and then layered over and over and over again. Mm -hmm.
1: And if you've worked show choreography into your basics, you've essentially already spent a ton of time cleaning it. Right. Right. You've cleaned it for their basics. You've made sure they all understand this is where my flag is going. This is what my body is doing. So when you go to put it into your show, you have significantly less cleaning you need to do.
0: Significantly.
1: Because they already understand, oh, it's this combination that I've learned and have been practicing since December. Right. So you don't ever want to completely cut out your basics. Even by the end of the season, like you should be doing your exercises. Like in the same way that, you know, if you're in a band class, you go and do your performance. Oh my gosh, it was so good. You come back. You don't say, "Okay, now we're only going to practice our show pieces." No, you still do You're your doing warm-up, scales, you still do your right. scales, you still do your tuning, like you still practice all of those building blocks because you can't simply just say oh, I learned my scales that one time. Now I'm going to only do show music. <laughs>
0: right. Like the people who are throwing passes on a football field didn't just wake up that morning and go, oh my God, I'm great at throwing passes. No, they practiced those passes in their backyard. They practiced them at practice. They practiced them with their friends. Like they did it all mm-hmm. the time. They became dedicated and obsessive about it. <laughs> I know a lot of people don't like that word, but Like that's it's literally what you have to do. And 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 I think it's important to recognize that if you're doing your planning properly, if you're spending November and December really building those basics because friends, because friends if you're going to put it in your show as choreography, it needs to have a basics block. It needs to have a basics block, always. So taking a look at before your season even starts, what skills can my kids do? What skills go into those skills? Like, can they do a saute? Great, if they can do a saute, that means they can do a plie and a tendu and probably a degage fairly well at that point. So like, okay, they're achieving sauté. Where do I go from sauté? What do I want to build them to? So you know what your goal is, and then you build all of those training blocks around those skills. And you spend November and December going, we're going to do tandus and degages in a stationary block. Now we're going to do across the floors where we're going to put in a passe and a sauté as we're moving. Then in January, we're going to add cones on top of that. So you're crawling before you walk and you're walking before you run because you're not going to be successful at it if you don't spend the time to put those things in and I think when you come home from that that competition and you, you go in thinking like my flags go up together, they come down together they're clean, my kids are clean, my kids are trained sometimes you can have a rehearsed group that isn't trained that you think because I've been doing drop spins and jazz walks for months now, I am trained but if you're not paying attention to those finer details in that training, they're not actually trained and so like you need to really take a look at your score and figure out do my movement scores match my training do my equipment scores match my training and if they don't what do I as an instructor need to do in order to make those scores work better for me how do I plan and build with what I already have and the time I have left how do I make that happen
1: and I think that's a really good point that like you can go over basics with your kids and have them still be a rehearsed group absolutely you can give them training and have them not be trained, right? And I I think a lot of people maybe don't understand the difference between training and trained. Right. You can sit them down and be like, when I do a plie, this is what I do. And then they can all do it. And if you just move on and say like, okay, they're trained, I saw them all do it. They all bent at the knee,
0: they all came up, they went down on counts one, two, they came up on counts three, four. They're the same.
1: That may not necessarily be true. And if you take that group to competition, you will probably likely get back some scores that are like on the lower side because maybe some of those finer details, maybe one kid is sticking their butt out a little bit or they're like tucking their tailbone, like super under, Right. you know? When we say training, think of it more like you are cleaning basics.
0: To a to a standard.
1: To a standard.
0: And we just talked about this earlier. Your standard, while there are industry and technical standards for things, a plie is a plie. My knees track over my toes, that's been established in dance, like <laughs> King Louis in the Palace of Versailles took care of that a long time ago. There are technical aspects to it. However, that being said, if your carriage position for a flag or a weapon, as your students are just say they don't have the piece of their show, is not filled with choreography and all they're doing is carrying their equipment. what does that carriage position look like for you? Is there an industry standard for carrying a weapon? I would say there is. Does your group have to have that same level of intricate detail? No. No. They just need to be collectively consistent. consistent. They need to look like they're in unison. And what does that look like, friends? You don't have to be a dancer to understand these concepts because that's what I hear a lot is, I'm not a dancer. I don't understand. You don't have to, right? Movement is about making shapes with your body and making sure that your shape is the same as everybody else's shape from a biological perspective where is my head is it centered on my shoulders is it tilted is it chin up are my shoulders up back and down are my shoulders level if your shoulders are not level your equipment will never do what you want it to do is my belly button pushed into my spine is my rib cage closed lots of people don't understand that as they open especially with equipment that your rib cage is gonna open and what that does and how it impacts the alignment of your pelvis the alignment of your shoulders and you throw that arm out there and now suddenly your whole torso is is off-centered. That means that your equipment is gonna do something different than the person next to you who does maintain that block. So mm-hmm. understanding that clean doesn't necessarily mean the flags went up together and they came down together. It means my performers understand where their head is supposed to be, where their shoulder, hip, and ankle orientation is. Is their pelvis tucked? Are their feet screwed in? Is their belly button pushed into their spine? Are they allowing themselves to manipulate the equipment consistently throughout the ensemble from all of those perspectives and again it doesn't have to be industry standard technical like competitive dance level type dance training movement training it can simply be my feet are in a second position and they're turned out my pelvis is tucked my shoulders are up back and down my shoulders are facing the 45. Those fine, fine details are really what make you a trained guard because yeah. you want your kids to look the same. And it's not about, like, will we stand up on count seven? It's what muscles are you using to get you there? Are you engaging your core and lifting yourself up, or are you pushing through your ha- hamstrings and quads to push yourself off the floor? Is your foot turned out, or is it parallel? So many different things go into just standing up that you, as an instructor, saying, well, I'm going to be more dedicated to. To really explaining movement, if you don't take the time from the beginning to explain what muscles are used and where they are in relation to their body and where they are in relation to space around them, the, they're never going to look the same. The kids have to have a shared understanding of what you're asking them to do. And if that means that you have to do a run where all they're doing, like for example, say they're just doing drop spins with Tondu, because that's your basics block for today. I want you to stand there and make them do that exercise and only watch their feet. Then watch it from a knee perspective. Are their knees tracking over their toes? Are they like actually using their hamstrings in their, in their plie and are they leading with the heel? Now do it again, watch their hip orientation do their hips come out of place? And do they shift off center when they're doing that tondu? Next time, watch their shoulders. Like literally, you have to pay attention to every single one of these finer details in order for your judges to look at you and say, those kids have a shared understanding of what they are being asked to do and they are achieving it. Collectively, the same. That's what makes you a trained guard. Not their feet went out together and closed together, the flags went up together and came down together.
1: Like, it's certainly part of it, but it's not <laughs> the whole picture. Absolutely, right. It's not the whole picture. Right. And something that I would recommend you do because tension and, you know, like restlessness is starting to rise around this point in the season. So, your kids might not be super thrilled about doing tondus and drop spins. 14 times while you watch their feet one time, and their ankles one time, and their shoulders one time, and while those 14 times would be really, really good for them, there is a point where their mood is going to impact their learning, and it's no longer productive. So what I would recommend you do, right, run it a couple times and videotape a couple of those runs so that when you get home after practice, you can watch it as many times as you need to without forcing them to right, go through right, right. half an hour of tondus and cones. And make sure, rotate your lines. Oh my right? gosh. If that's, you have a front oh line gosh, and a middle yes. line and a back line, have them rotate and record each line. Like Make sure you can see everybody. That way you can go home and make notes of like, oh, Nicholas, you know really needs to articulate his feet more.
0: Yeah. And I encourage you actually as an instructor to involve your students in this process. You know, they're the ones that are being judged. You put the show together, but you're not out there on the floor performing it. They are, right? They have to understand what it is that they're being judged against and what the level of achievement is that you expect and that the judges are going to expect. So use that band app or that Facebook group or however it is that you communicate with your students, whatever, you know, however you choose. Take those recordings. You go home, you make your notes. You've got Nick needs some help with pushing through the heel or whatever, and then throw it up on that communication site or that app and say, I need you to watch it. I need you to pick out three things that you can do better. Even if that's lifting your chin a little bit more, even if your star performer front and center is doing everything technically like you would like, find something like we can always be better.
1: And I would make sure to also, if you're gonna share this with your kids, make sure that they're making notes about themselves not other people because you you don't want it to turn into like, well, I saw some people in the video were not smiling or looking where they need to. Like you don't want it to turn into a passive aggressive type thing or you don't want it to read that way between the kids, right? You don't want to cause, you don't want to make more tension than there already is. Um, Like I recommend sharing it with them so that way they can see themselves and just make sure look at yourself, period.
0: Well and I think um, it's really important to talk about that because I had a student who ended up being staff with me one day mm-hmm. who said to me, Monica, when you shout things from the front and you say like bah, 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 do this, point your toe, do She's like, I literally never paid attention to you because I knew that I was doing it.
1: <laughs> That's really funny because I was the opposite.
0: Same. I was like, It's was me, like...
1: <laughs> I'm the problem. That notice Hi. Me.
0: It's me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, there are definitely kids that will like here you go, bah, 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 and that's all they hear. It goes they in hear, one ear, bah, 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 bah.
0: in one ear, and out the other, right? So challenge them to say, "I need you to watch," and I need you to watch against what you know the right thing is, because mm. oftentimes in their head. They're doing it.
1: They're doing it perfect.
0: You're yeah. like, do a plie. And they're like, I'm doing a plie. But you're like, right, no, your knees are coming inward. They're not tracking over your toes. But they don't feel that because they, they're they like, I'm going down and I'm coming back up. They don't understand how to make your body do that. Like, turnout is a weird thing. It's not a naturally occurring thing. Yeah. So when we're like, have turnout and track over your toes, people are like, what? Turn so out. until they can see themselves compared to the person standing next to them, it's not going to click. Yeah, I think a lot of times new instructors don't necessarily want
1: to... Single out kids.
0: Yeah, right. Like they don't want to, because maybe they were the one that was singled out or maybe they Mm -hmm. were the one that had that like toxic instructor who was like, you're trash and like screaming at them. And so they're afraid to be that. And they don't understand the line between constructive criticism versus toxicity. Really think about trusting your performers to be part of the process. They are the ones that are expected to be out there and do the thing. So give them the tools, let them see what they're doing.
1: And one more thing, um, in regards to like training and and really cleaning and solidifying basics sometimes words are not enough and seeing the footage is not enough and sometimes kids literally just you just need to move them like physically your, your arm needs to go here and move their arm now pre-covid versus <laughs> is, like a, a lot, lot different. Of, like, yeah it's a lot easier it was a lot really easier close to people is not necessarily as like great as it used to be and also i mean like generally like putting your hands on any other human being is like-
0: For lack of any other more ironic term, it's a touchy subject, right? Yes, like you, yeah. you know, especially if, the ki- if they're minors, the world is a crazy place and lots of people in power have taken advantage of people who are not in so yeah. much power. And so, so the number one most important thing, consent.
1: Yes, always, always, always ask before you do anything. Literally all, all you need to say is, is it okay if I move your arm?
0: Yep. I'm just going to be touching you here. Is that okay? Are you comfortable with that? So that they know mm -hmm. and they can give you consent because some humans don't want to be touched. Yeah.
1: And and what I do is I typically ask (laughs) twice. So I'll ask before I go around to check people, I'll say, would you guys feel comfortable if I walked around and moved some of your like arms while I'm checking this position? And usually, you know, I get back like a group yes. But I'll also ask the individual if I'm about to move them and say, like, I know you said yes with the group, but is it okay if I move your arm? Right. Um, because, you know, you never know. Like, if the whole group is saying yes, somebody might not feel comfortable saying no. Right. So I always ask twice, right. like, once for the group, once for the individual, um, because I want to give them, you know, the opportunity to be like, no.
0: Oh, for sure. Um, like groupthink is a thing. Yeah. Like nobody wants to be the person that everybody else says yes, and you're like, nah, no, I'm out exactly. in the corner. Like nobody wants to be that person.
1: Yeah, and and you don't you don't want to make that kid feel like singled out in a bad way.
0: Right. Um, like, why like, am I different? It, why do I not want to be touched? Exactly.
1: And I know a lot of new instructors are afraid of that singling outness, but there is a difference between like you are the problem and you are wrong versus. I need to move your arm really quick. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Okay. And I move your arm. And making it like not a huge thing.
0: Some kids need that physical manipulation. Some Mm -hmm. people just need you're working too hard. Think about here. Squeeze this here. Show me that you can squeeze that muscle and you can have like more of a conversation and work it out with them. But ultimately, there are some kids who you just physically have to move them. There is growth and teaching your kids that it's okay to be wrong and learning how to fix yourself and holding yourself accountable um, is a skill set that I think will enhance your kids not only in color guard, but just in life in general, like being able to take critique and feedback and utilizing it and having a growth mindset and be like, they're here to tell me how to do the things so that I don't have to work as hard and so that Mm -hmm. I look better at what I'm doing, I should listen to that.
1: So we've been to competition, we come back and we've got our scores. Okay, we need to work on basics. We're working on basics. (laughs) We're doing the Um, thing, we're doing the thing. Maybe a judge said something like, I don't understand this moment. I feel like it should be like this instead. We've only been to our first competition though. We've got like maybe half our show. i was gonna say two two minutes. Two minutes on on the the floor, floor. and it's not all filled. It's gonna be a lot of drill,
0: and some of it's not readable because it's not clean yet.
1: So, so what do you do when a judge is like, I think you should change this?
0: I think that's a different question at the end of January than it is at the beginning or the middle of March at the beginning of January or I'm sorry, the end of January, you obviously have more opportunity and more time to be able to fix things, but you obviously don't want to start over from scratch. It's the end of January. So learning how to balance what you have time to do versus what you need to do is really the key. And I think the biggest thing that I would encourage people to kind of understand is that if you're planning and you're spending November and December doing your, training and you're using January to stage and February to fill and March to clean, which is kind of the industry standard of what works. You've gotten to the end of January and they're like, well, we don't like this moment. Well, how do they know if they like the moment, if they haven't seen the whole show? Is your seventh grade English teacher going to like your book report if they only read half the book? I mean, it's an honest question. Sometimes there are going to be parts of your show that really just don't make sense from a design or like structural type aspect. No matter what you do for the whole rest of the season, they're not, they're just not going to work. And so, yeah, those are spaces where you score a lot lower in equipment than you thought you did or a lot lower in movement than you thought you did. Okay, Mm -hmm. so... Instead of going, well, they don't understand my design or they said I didn't make this GE moment. Instead of changing something about my drill or the effect that I've planned for that moment. Why don't I just put the rest of the show that I have written on the floor so that they can see the whole show and get the whole picture. Now we've read the whole book and now we can say, yeah, chapter six really wasn't so great. And I think chapter six wasn't great because the setup that you gave us in chapters three, four, and five didn't really work. Maybe take a look at just that section. But until you get all of your drill on the floor, what they're looking at is a book report that's only based on half the book. I think it's important that you recognize, like we talked about last month, it is an objective opinion. It is based on that run, that judge that day and those contest dynamics so what you put out in rehearsal or what you're going to put out in two weeks none of that matters it's that day that judge that run if the judge didn't see the whole show and they said well that part doesn't work well now if i go back and i change all of this drill for that one little part in chapters three four and five so that chapter six makes sense all of my people and my dots are in totally new different places so everything that i spent december writing in terms of drill and staging just totally went out the window. So that was totally wasted time. And one of the most important things that a judge ever asked me was in 2016. He sat me down and said, Monica, you're a better designer than this. I have to ask you why. And I was like, what do you mean why? And he was like, the most important thing any designer can ever ask themselves is why. So that judge didn't like your ex moment. Why? Ask him why. Why? He's going to tell you. And then when when he does tell you, you need to think about how that actually applies to the show that you have because he saw you for seven minutes. You've seen these kids for seven months, probably more, some of them, right? So you have like this way more in-depth and detailed knowledge of your program and what's going to work or what's not going to work. So put out your whole show, even if it's just drill, so that your design and GE, so that your upstairs people are looking at it and they have at least a more clear picture of start to finish this is the theme or the mood or the whatever and these are how they're gonna stage and pace the events so that they make sense as a whole and then they can pick apart which chapters don't work for you and then you can go back to the drawing board but if you're trying to change stuff based on half of a book report that might not be as effective as you want it to be for the outcomes that you're looking for
1: and you also got to think about time management Right, oh my gosh, so I right. just got done with my competition and I have X amount of weeks until my next one. If I'm spending two hours a week on basics and the rest of my time on filling my show, when am I gonna have time to edit the part that the judge wants me to edit, right? You You would have to pull time away from filling your show or from basics, which you don't want to do. Right. So it really doesn't make a lot of sense to kind of try and shoehorn this random fix into your, like, two weeks before your next competition and then show up and your kids are like, Man, I have no idea what my drill is for the new part of the drill because I just had to relearn my first part of the drill, and now none of my work makes sense because my drill is different, and I don't know where I'm going, and there's so much in my little my little ninth grade brain. You're making so much extra work by changing things early, not only for yourself but for your students. Um, and that's not to say that you shouldn't change things. It's like true. Like, like, you can still change things. You just don't want to...
0: Again, throw a bunch
1: of old stuff out the window and redo right. a bunch of it because one judge was like, The drill in these two sets, like chapter I just, six
0: doesn't make sense. I didn't like it, right? Like, and so, I urge you before you make any changes, before you scrap everything and go back to the you know, ask yourself why that is the number one most important question that or thing that you can do as an instructor. If someone tells you to do something, why? why? If they say they don't like it, why? Question yourself, question your students. Um, If the students say, well, I don't wanna do it that way, you know, maybe there's a drill spot that they're not achieving. And they say, well, I can't do it that way. It doesn't work for me. Why? (laughs) Before I change your drill, why doesn't it work? Maybe you're not making it because of X, Y, or Z reason. And if I know that as the designer, I can find maybe not the way that I originally staged it, but a different way that will still achieve the goals of the program, but keep things facilitated in a way that make it more achievable for you and less distracting for your judges, which might've been like the original point. And so understanding that there's a whole host of things that go into your commentary and your score and your program going forward and figuring out, like you said, I have two weeks. What is my most important thing? Mm -hmm. You know, So you've got a score in movement or equipment that maybe isn't as high as you want and your show's not finished. You've got two weeks where do you focus, you know? Yeah. Spend a week putting the drill on the floor, getting them to move the same, and then go back and clean the work that you already had so that you can increase that equipment score or that movement score, and you've given them the full show, so now they understand, the judges truly understand what the book report is about, and they're seeing that you've spent a little bit more time pushing your IA scores so that you will be successful. Um, because I think that, especially at this stage of the game, if your movement or equipment scores are your vulnerability, you are scoring, scoring 10 to 20, 30 points lower in one of those captions than you did in Designer GE. That means that you're a great designer and you understand how to plan effects, but maybe you don't understand quite how to train your kids. And if you are of the mentality that you have to get the show on the floor because that's what's the most important I urge you to think about the fact that you can't create muscles in March. Muscle development doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in March. Oh, I have four weeks. I can create muscle development now. No, (laughs) you (laughs) can't. Muscle development starts from day one and that's why basics are so important. And Mm -hmm. so if you haven't taken the time to do your basics and your training and your stamina and conditioning, now is the time to, to focus on those things and really hone in on your IA scores because your IA scores are what's going to let your EA scores improve. Um,
1: And just to clarify, IA versus EA, just in case people don't know what those mean
0: correct. I I speak as though everyone understands me and I have to remember what (laughs) 2001 Monica was like and IA stands for individual analysis and EA stands for ensemble analysis so your Mm -hmm. IA judges are your movement and your equipment judges. They sit downstairs they see the kids. They judge your kids on a person to person basis so they're looking at your soloists. They're looking at your trios. They're looking at as you have an ensemble moment as I scan from side one to side two am I seeing every single person doing the same thing. Your EA, your ensemble Analysis They're the people that are judging you as a group. Are you pacing and staging your events appropriately? Are you setting up the moment to achieve the effect? Are your performers performing it in a way that they're achieving the effect? Then those people sit up top. They're not judging you so much on, are their toes pointed, are their feet articulated? Are they moving through the same places in space? They're saying, did they achieve that toss? Well, if you're not articulating your muscles in the same way and you're not going through the same places in space, you're not going to achieve the effect of that moment and your scores up top are gonna be diminished because you're not as effective in that moment.
1: It all comes back to basics and training at the end of the day. Literally, I mean, your basics and your training and your muscle development and and all of those building blocks are going to impact li- quite literally every moment of your show. Everything.
0: Literally, every single rehearsal. And the great part about being in Regional A and A class is that you can design your basics so that they translate into show work. If you're planning your basics in a way that everything that goes into your show choreography has a basics block within it. And then say you get to January and you're like, wow, I want to do this really cool thing. Look at the basics you have, see where you can make it progressive and adapt to what you have and throw that new skill in so that they're still learning, you're still challenging them, but you now have a basics block to support whatever that new piece of cool choreography is. Mm-hmm. And if you've spent the proper time planning when, like I said, when you do throw that choreography together and on top of them, you don't have to clean it or you don't have to clean it as much. As you much. C- you can spend time cleaning it by the quarter count, mm-hmm. one E and a, two E and a, and in pinpointing basics. in yeah. basics. If you start your planning and you do your planning correctly and you train your kids in the most effective way for you with a timeline, with structure, you get to a point where you do have time in March to clean by quarter counts so that you can achieve cleanliness like performance as an effect one second i want to refill my coffee <laughs> perfect one of the things that that we kind of wanted to talk about um and that i kind of want to bring up just all the time through this podcast is when that judge sat me down and said like why i also said to him okay so i've determined the why this is the why for this particular show as we're sitting here in critique what should i do about it what do you want me to do about it and he looked at me and said in a perfect world What would you do about it? (laughs) Throwing it back on me. Cool. Great. And he's like, you're the artist. This is your vision. In a perfect world, how would you fix it? Um, And so I challenge all instructors to think about why and then think about in a perfect world, if I wanted this to happen, what would that look like? And then how do I build to get there? And so in a perfect world, as we talk about building our show, that balance of I've trained my kids and they have good basics. I'm throwing my whole show on the floor so they get to read the whole book report. And maybe I've cleaned up the work that I put out on the last show. For me, that would be my my perfect world. Other people might just say, well, I want to continue filling what I put out the last time and make sure that that's really clean. That could also be your perfect world. Yeah. And so kind of determining for you in your program what you think perfect world scenario is.
1: Every perfect world is going to be a little bit different. Each group is going to be a little bit different. It's it's contextual, right?
0: And I think it's important to recognize too that your perfect world can also change over time, even yes. within you and your program or your institutions. When I think back to my earliest days, like my first year at field day for MCGC, we put out our whole show. Because we didn't train. We didn't do any of the thing. We didn't do stamina conditioning. We just, in November, we put five kids on a floor and said, we are creating a show. And then we spent three months creating a show. It was not good. It was not trained. It didn't, like, we didn't understand any of it. And so for the first few years after that, I still had this mentality of perfect world. You put your whole show out at field day. Like, that's what you do. You have to give the judges the whole show so they know what you're capable of. And then by about 2009, I realized that, like, they want quality over quantity. They don't want to see your whole show. They wanna see that your kids can move together, that they can spin together, that they're trained and that they understand how to perform. And that's, I mean, that's detailing everything from how they bend down to pick up their equipment and how they're carrying it when they're not doing anything else but drill and where their chin is in the episode. Like so many different little things that add up to like what my vision of Perfect World is. And so it became, as I progressed through the years as an instructor. Again, why? Why am I going to field day? I'm going to field day so that they get a feel for my show, they can create an impression of who we are as a guard, and they can see that we're trained. Those were like my three goals. However much of a show I could get on the floor, to give them that information, that's what I put out. And it varied from year to year. Some years we got a minute, some years we got two. Some years we had a minute that was filled. Some years we had two and a half minutes that was largely unfilled. It just kind of depended on where we were at in the season. And I think that's the most important thing for you to recognize it as an instructor is what is your perfect world scenario? What does that look like for you? And again, why? Why is that important for you? As long as you can justify it to yourself so that when you sit down in critique with a judge and they say, why doesn't why? your show have this? Why don't your kids have that? You have an answer that you're willing to stand behind. Like the year that they told us, oh, it's campy, you're hugging too much. I literally went home and was like, I don't care. My art <laughs> is speaking in that we can hold on to one another and that's how we make it through life. Yeah. And every other contest that I went to from that point forward, I was prepared to say... That's a theme, that's a motif, that's an underlying part of how our art speaks this year. I'm sorry that it's not your preference. Smile and wave, shake their hand. Say thank you. And walk away, (laughs) right, yes. Always, you know, I always appreciate your time. Thank you. And take that with a grain of salt, you know? So um, just figuring out who you are, knowing who you are and and setting that perfect world based on the goals and objectives for your organization. Super important to your success. That being said, we are in February. Everybody's sick. Currently, COVID is raging everywhere. Um, the flu is raging everywhere. everywhere.
1: The sun's hardly out, and like, you know how that impacts like general mood when humans can't see the sun. Like, yeah,
0: know. for sure. Yeah. Um, and so, how do you how do you manage that? With now, you're talking about me as a grown up, as a human, with all of my faculties. I'm struggling because it's dreary, and it's February, and I'm tired, and, and I'm sick, sick and... and half of my kids aren't at rehearsal because they're sick. You know, yeah. like, what do you what do you do with that? How do you keep everybody kind of going? How do you keep it interesting? How do you keep the performers safe and healthy from both a physical and a mental, emotional, well-being mm-hmm. kind of perspective when February just sucks?
1: Yeah, so, so physically, obviously, you can't say... Here, I need you to make sure that you're eating all of the groups on the food pyramid. Are you it, drinking enough are you, water? Are you drinking enough like <laughs> vitamin C? Like, are you getting your orange juice? Right. Like, like you're not you're not their doctor. You're not a doctor. Right. Um. That's not a thing that you can do. But there are certain things that you can do at practice to kind of set your kids up for success with the time that you have with them. Right. The things that are in your wheelhouse. So, you know, as as much as some of us might. Hate to hear it, going back to basics. Basics! Building building those muscles starting early, right? Giving them strength, building up their body, making sure they're not injuring themselves early on in the season from poor technique or lack of training or lack of muscle development right giving them those tools to prevent those injuries and in a similar way i i know that we were going to talk about stretching. yeah
0: stretching super lot important of people
1: in this activity do static stretching so kind of the okay we're gonna do a forward fold and touch our toes and we're gonna sit here and touch our toes for like Fifteen seconds right. and let's then let's count we're to gonna, thirty. Yeah. Right. And then we're gonna go over this way and we're gonna lean this way and And um...
0: and so my my question to those people doing static stretching is Why? (laughs) And and I'm sure
1: the answer is going to be, well, stretching is good for you. Right. My instructor told me to stretch. And And we always did it. This is how we stretch. This This is is what I learned. This is what I know. Right. You know, everybody says stretch, 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 stretch prevents injuries. Stretch will get you ready to go. And like, yeah, stretching is good for you. Stretching is good for your muscles, but there is something else called dynamic stretching. And it's a little bit different from static stretching which is what people typically do and now i know this is more in your wheelhouse so i'll let you talk
0: about yeah, right so like static stretching like conan said is just like sit on the floor i'm gonna stretch my legs out that position is called pike you're sitting in pike you're gonna forward fold you're gonna touch your toes we're gonna hold till 30. maybe you have your students count dynamic stretching is saying okay when am i ever using pike in my show why do why do i need to stretch in that way Okay, well, maybe we do the splits, maybe we do a cartwheel. Dynamic stretching, in a nutshell, is moving your body in a way that warms up the muscles in a way that you are going to be using them in the future, is just kind of the easiest nutshell. So if I'm going to be doing a lot of leaps and jumps, do I wanna stand with my legs in a very wide second position and reach down and touch the middle of the floor and then reach over and touch each ankle and hold it and touch the other ankle and hold it? Or do I wanna be doing lunges that are nice and big and deep over and over again, so that my body understands the amount of pressure, the initiation, what muscles are activated, what muscles are engaged, and I'm doing that in a slow and low kind of repetitive motion so that my body gets used to it, so it knows what to expect. That is how you prevent injury. And it's
1: not, you're not gonna sit there and do like squats like like building muscle squats like it's it's different from from what you would be doing in strength and conditioning right totally different
0: it's totally different and the way that i can describe it is like strength and conditioning is like planks and push-ups and crunches and squats and all of those things that we hate doing dynamic stretch is like which by the way before we do a dynamic stretch friends we should be warming up our muscles for five to ten minutes with some sort of physical activity Evoke Performance Collective has an entire stamina and conditioning unit that you can purchase. Um, But hands down, that should be where you should not start with a static stretch. That is going to do nothing for you. Absolutely not. Start with five to 10 minutes of a little bit of cardio, get the heart pumping, get things going. And then you're doing your dynamic stretch. And your dynamic stretch is things like, we're not just standing in a second position and stretching. We're doing a grapevine. And then at the end of the grapevine, we're doing hip isolations with hip rolls. Because maybe we're doing guard rolls and we need to understand how to isolate the hip when we hit the ground with it. So that when we roll and go to stand back up, we are centered and squared and we know which muscles in our legs are using us and our core is engaged so we can lift off the ground instead of pushing ourselves off the ground. We want to replicate in our dynamic stretch the things that we're going to be doing with our bodies, with just our bodies and also with our equipment. So if you do carves, and you've got an up and an over move with your arm, you need to add that to your dynamic stretch so that your your performers understand how to warm up those muscles in a way that's smarter, not harder, that's teaching your brain, my muscle's gonna go in this way, it's gonna go in this way, so that when you do it with a little bit of extra force, You don't tear your rotator cuff because it's used to moving in that direction and you've built those muscles specifically for that move.
1: I feel like static stretching is still predominantly like what people are doing currently. So if you've never heard of or never seen dynamic stretching and all of this is like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I highly, highly, highly encourage you to go literally just on YouTube, look up dynamic stretching. Watch a couple of examples and it can be a really, really, really good and useful tool and it can also help keep kids engaged. Because instead of just getting to this position and sitting and waiting here for however long, kids get real antsy really fast. Yeah, right. If you're doing something like dynamic stretching where they're constantly moving, they're constantly engaged, They don't have time to take out their phone and pipe. And
0: realistically, I think dynamic stretches help kids to understand the transition between musical phrases. So like yeah. the the dynamic stretch that Kate Orlando has put together for Evoke, it's constant moving. It's and really it's nice. it's it's very nice. And that's what you really want to think about with dynamic stretching is you're stretching in a way that's helping build those muscles in a way that's gonna make your body be like, yep, that's how I do it. You're creating muscle memory, but you're also kind of training your performers to think about filling the musical phrases and connecting each movement to the next movement. You're not statically spinning why would you statically stretch the more you can incorporate moves that your body does naturally with your equipment into your dynamic stretch the better off you're going to be And if you're hearing, friends, in your commentary from your judges, things like, you're not fulfilling the phrase, or your students aren't connecting their musical phrases, or your transitions are a little bit rough, what that means is that they're not connecting this piece of work to this piece of work. Think about how many times you've seen the kids go, oh, I have to go up and down. My counts are one and two. And maybe they're getting there at like one and but they think they're getting there too, and then they just kind of stand there, and then they move on to the next thing, right? You want to make that as fluid as possible, right? We are a motion-based, movement-based thing, and so, Connecting your dots is what's giving people the ability to be like, oh, that movement flowed. Oh, right now. Mm. You know, you're not just like going, move, stop, spin. A dynamic stretch will teach your students not only how to mentally and physically prepare their body, their equipment and their achieving things, but it also teaches them how to appreciate connecting the dots musically so that they're not so that they understand how to take all those counts and fulfill that musical phrase before they move on to the next musical phrase.
1: You know, it's February, it's sick season. How do you handle practices when you have, oh my gosh, it's the day of, and now five of my 15 kids just called off sick? What do I do? Cause now, you know, five of 15, maybe I have like six rifles and now five of them are gone. I can't clean rifle work. I don't necessarily want to clean, you know, feature work because I'm going to have to re-clean it when those five kids come back. What do you do? <laughs> what do you do? You, you're you not. You're clean. not gonna want
0: to hear my answer. You can't clean basics. <laughs> yeah. You, can,
1: you can't clean again. Right. You don't right.
0: Work. work smarter, not harder. Yeah. Don't put out work that you're just gonna have to reteach later. I always told my students, I never retaught work ever. It was not my show. If I put it out there and you weren't there, that's your job. That's your responsibility to learn it. I am not reteaching it. Mm-hmm. Um, now with the power of video, you can record yourself and send it out and be like, learn it yourself, friends. You know, but it's it it truly is really difficult when half of your kids are missing because they're out sick like what do you even do with that literally basics like and I say that because again it's super important for instructors to understand the difference between a trained guard and a rehearsed guard and how important basics are to that plan and they don't have to be like the basics that you're doing in late January and February are not the same basics that you're doing in November where you're like okay friends halfway on and down on one like you're not doing those same things where the kids are like "Eh, oh my god but like Mm -hmm. you talked about you have an exercise that you run kids through drop spins push spins double fast yeah or speed spins as some of us call them and then they go back through that same thing there's a pattern and they know they do this phrase then this phrase then this phrase again we don't necessarily want to be doing basics but if you're doing them in a way that it is coming from the the critique is coming from someone else or whether that's a different instructor or just their student leadership and not you or you're changing up the way that they do basics and they're not doing the same things over and over again Mm -hmm. or they were in their standard training block and you've done your drop spin exercise in that training block and now you say okay the first two rows you're going to go to the back and now I'm going to see those back two rows are going to move to the front and the front are going to move to the back and you're seeing different people Um, just helps your performers kind of be like well now they're looking at me now I really need to like I was hiding out in the back I was back left Becky now I'm Front corner Rebecca. Yeah. Like now I gotta pay attention. Um. So corner
1: corner Rebecca.
0: It's a different. It's a different mindset, friends.
1: I cannot emphasize how important rotating lines is, and and rotating just who people are standing next to.
0: We literally at Resurgence. We created a new training block. We created a new one every month. I started it. That's huge. The next month I'd have a different instructor do it because I'd be like, you saw things from Back Left Becky that I didn't see. Where do you think Back Left Becky needs to go? And we all kind of took a turn creating a new block. Yeah. Um, we, we got to a point where we understood that student leadership in the beginning of the season needed to be in the front so that people could mimic and follow yeah. them. But then about January, those humans needed to go in the four corners of the block. Or the back of the block so that people weren't relying on them mm-hmm. and they could see things that we couldn't see. And they could be like, I'm standing behind Becky and I'm telling you, she's not articulating her foot. You need to come watch from my position. It gave us another set of pseudo kind of trained eyes. Yeah. Uh, it, it, changing up your, your spin block, super important.
1: Also keep kids engaged a little bit more too because they're in a new spot around new people now I'm in the front and oh my gosh there's so much more for me to think about when I'm in the front that sometimes is enough I tell people all the time challenge
0: your students this is kind of another way to talk about keeping things interesting if you always perform to the front of your gym turn them around like make them face the wall make them face the back put them on different 45s line them on the outside of the floor And have them face outward so Mm -hmm. that they're not looking at one another or they're looking at different things. Because a lot of times what I found, um, especially with the younger performers, like 8th graders, ninth graders, even 10th graders sometimes. When you go to transition from they're used to performing in their gym, in their space, you take them out to any other different gym. And suddenly they're like, I didn't know how to do a flutter because I was looking at this corner instead of seeing the flag that says dare like I always do. I now saw Grandma Becky. I didn't know what to do with that. They don't oftentimes understand what to do with their bodies, even though they're doing the same thing that they've done a hundred times when their surroundings are different. They're Mm -hmm. like, oh no, I don't understand how to do that. So not only rotating your lines of your spin block, but facing it in different directions or making it so that there are different people or maybe there's partnering or maybe they're mirroring each other. You're turning lines around so that they can see each other um all kind of important facets to think about Mm -hmm. getting them putting them in different spaces gives you more eyes it gives them more opportunity it keeps things interesting it keeps them willing to learn it keeps them motivated and i mean like you said people get bored if you're doing the same like i said it's the same music right we're putting on boogie wonderland we know that's dropsman's boop music's on friends Mm -hmm. they're gonna zone out they're gonna go into autopilot and like you do want a certain part of that to happen because when they're in their show you want them to be like I do the thing it's just autopilot but you have to have them thinking through those things in a basics block in a repetitive way for it to become second nature for you to make it show choreography
1: Mm -hmm. if you have a space that will allow you to do this um like if your school has multiple gyms that you got super lucky and both of the gyms are empty right now Have your kids go to the other gym and do stuff in there or take them out into the hallway and do stuff in the hallway. I was going to say the number of
0: times that Kate Orlando had to take our dance kids into a hallway because I was like, this is an elementary school. We have a gym. Here it is. They just went out there. There were only like five of them. She just got to and they they went and they did their own little thing and it got them used to being able to spin in a way that they were able to solidify performance, quality, space, within their own brain, in terms of their kinesiology, not, I stand here and this is my spot and I can see the the dare sign, (laughs) right? You know, it takes them out of that being reliant on their space and more about being reliant on their body to do the thing. Not only will it
1: help them solidify all of that, but again, keeping them engaged. Oh, this is a new setting. This is a new place. This is novel for me. This is interesting. And that'll help just naturally keep the brain engaged because the brain likes it when things are different. Right. You know, well, it, it likes it when things are interesting and new. You know, the second it loses its novelty, it's going to get a little bit more like, oh, okay, it's the same drop spin exercise, but now instead of looking at the dare flag, I'm looking at a brick wall. Like, incredible. Yes. It'll help. It's it, does. It, it, really it'll, does. it does. It really does. Even if it only helps for like a couple practices, like, that's still a couple practices. Right. You know, every every minute counts.
0: One of the things that we talk about as a philosophy from Evoke Performance Collective, it's in our handbook. It's one of our core values. Um, when it talks about... Um, creating culture for your team, and then also kind of being successful at what it is that we do, actually putting out competitive pieces of art, is creating that culture of change, right? The human brain generally, like you said, it, it, it it needs novelty, it needs new. And if you want to challenge your performers and you want to give them opportunities that are going to train and educate them at your level and also prepare them for going to places like Interplay or Pride or Phoenix Independent, like... You have to teach them how to handle transition, how to handle change, and how to be comfortable with that. Like you said, send them into a different gym, send them into a hallway. I say, if you have a group that's close to you, even if they're your competitor, take your kids and go to their practice. See if that instructor will let you, if you can make a connection. In 2009, I took my Frazier kids to Chippewa Valley. They're Mm -hmm. literally like three miles up the road and around the corner. And I called their instructor and I was like, can I bring my kids in? I need them to see what a Scholastic A group looks like and how you run rehearsals and what type of commitment and dedication, what what a, a Scholastic A group rehearsal looks like. Because my kids, I don't think they get it. We've got attitude. We've got drama. We've got kids that think they're better than one another. We've got kids that talk back to rehearsal. Like, I took those kids to a Chippewa Valley rehearsal and said, watch these kids. These kids have made finals in WGIA class. These kids have done it, they've done the thing. You wanna see how to be good at it? You wanna be see how to be successful? I challenge you to watch these kids. Watch the way they interact with those instructors. Watch the way they listen. Watch the way they have a culture, a change, a growth mindset. Watch the way they apply technique. All of the things that you want them to be able to do, if you have a successful group that's your competitor, even if they're not successful, even if they're just your competitor and you guys are neck and neck or you're better than they are, whatever, Let them see other ways of doing things because you never know how much they're going to learn. You never know what they're going to pick up as important and it's just going to give them more like experiences and opportunities yeah. and that that truly is how yeah. we grow and how we learn. We see other people doing the thing and we're like, oh, they're better at it in this way than I am. Mm-hmm. I should try to do something that's similar so that I can be effective at it.
1: But You can even consider as having a joint rehearsal. Right, we've right? done in- that too. Yeah, instead of just simply going and watching, like you can have your kids engage and have them take instruction from another instructor. Um, Take them to clinics. Take them, you know. Absolutely. Have them watch videos.
0: Each program has its own culture, its own idiosyncrasies, all of it that makes it work for that program. Yeah. And if you want to be competitive in the thing, you got to go out and see what's out there and you got to see what makes you different. Yeah, just exposing your kids to that. It does Mm. so many different things, so many great things. So maybe that's what you spend time in February doing is bringing in a different instructor, or going to somebody else's rehearsal and seeing what you can get out of it. Mm -hmm. I do know that if you're going to bring people in, I suggest that you don't do all of them in one day, though. Yes. In 2010, I brought in, like, four different people on one day, and I was like, it's going to be great! I've got a movement person, I've got a person who's great at equipment, I've got this person who's awesome at design, we're going to come in, it's going to be great! My kids literally came back at the next rehearsal and they were like, "Please never do that to us again." Like we didn't know who to listen to or where to go. Like there was so much information, we were so overwhelmed. And they were right. Like when I sat down and like when I went home, I was like, "Oh my, God, that was so much information." Even for me as a grown up with all my faculties, it was overwhelming. Um, so if you're going to do the thing where you've got lots of people that you can use as resources and bring in or go visit or whatever, space it out. Yep. Don't do it all at once. Um, do it slowly so that yeah. you can you can learn who you are and what your organization is uh, so in a perfect world i guess we can go back to that in a perfect world <laughs> we've spent dis, uh, we've spent february or we spent january we went to competition we got the critique right we we planned our perfect world what february is going to look like here's how much time we have these are the things we need to accomplish we're doing some basics we're doing some character development we're doing dynamic stretching, so we're preventing injury. Um, we're doing more basics that are engaged and 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 keeping things interesting for the kids who are here. But we're still. Blech.
1: Well we're, <laughs> still we're still sick here
0: right we're still we're still sick we're mentally drained um it is two weeks until our next competition we don't want to do basics like the kids you know three of their friends the reason that they're there is because their three best friends told them that they should join guard this year and they did and all three of their friends are sick and they're alone and they're not really friends with the rest of the kids on the team what do you do how do you keep motivation going how do you keep things fun and interesting Keeping them active, keeping them healthy, building the team, creating the theme, giving them performance, achievement, like February February just sucks. I know we've said it before, but literally that should be the title of this episode. (laughs) February February sucks.
1: sucks.
0: (laughs) You have so much to do and not enough time. Um, and so
1: everybody's sick and angry and right. And like
0: there's tension and like, right. Keeping those big feelings in mind and respecting your performers and keeping them Mm -hmm. in check. I encourage you to use your February for things like games and homework and team bonding. Iggy was always really great at this. And so I encourage you, if you are struggling with ways to make it work for your team and your show theme, reach out to Iggy, iggy at evokepc.com. But when I talk about games and homework and team bonding, right? Homework. One of the things we did for homework when we did that homelessness show was go and work at soup kitchens, right? I didn't schedule that in when I gave them their team schedule in November and said, like, these are your practice dates. These are your competition dates. I wasn't like, by the way, we're going to a soup kitchen in February. Plan that. I just I just came in and was like by the way in 2 weeks here's a permission slip your parents need to sign it we are doing the thing you are required to go it is now part of your homework and they they really honestly they didn't they didn't give me too much you know too hard of a time and so I encourage you to think about what what types of homeworks you can do with your kids and so I offer these suggestions as these are things that we've done in the past so we did a show about Wonder Woman um and it wasn't so much like about Wonder Woman but it was really truly based on female empowerment and Mm -hmm. how as women we are all together so what did i do for my kids over christmas break when i knew that they weren't they had two weeks like i went out consequently i was in a feminist rhetoric class at oakland university at that particular point in time so i i had a great wealth of knowledge shout out to uh, valerie palmer meta by the way she was the most amazing teacher i learned so many things from her and those 23 kids in that wonder woman show absolutely benefited from me having two classes with valerie she was amazing But what she did was I had, like, a whole list of, like, all of the most powerful kind of, when we think of feminism, like, the leaders in what that would be. All the way back to people like Sappho, like, back, like, crazy, you know, millennia ago. Yeah, like a long uh,
1: time. As
0: well as Gloria Steinem and, like, the burn the bra kind of people Mm -hmm. and the Eleanor Roosevelt's and the Michelle Obama's. Like, we went through the whole spectrum and I just put the list out and went, all right, kids, pick your girl. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you researching and why, like go find a person, decide what you wanna research about them and then write a paper and you're gonna come back. So we did a, a team sleepover at my house. I kicked my husband and my kids out and it was just me and the staff and, and all of all the students. Um, and one of the things we did that night was they got out their paper and they, they, every single person on the team, educated everybody else on the team about a famous feminist and what it meant. So that when they were on the floor, they understood why, as women, it was important that they were getting to do the thing right then and they were getting to speak their piece and have their voice and have their voice be heard because all of these other women had done it before mm-hmm. and had paved the way for them to do it. So it taught them like the theory behind it. It gave them the history of feminism. They each learned a little bit of something. And it taught them, when I said, show me strong, they had their own interpretation of what strong looked like for them. But... Yeah. They were able to do it collectively because they all understood that same sense of like women had to fight to yeah. be able to do the thing that we're now doing. So that was super helpful for them. We we spent all of our warm-ups for the month of February listening to TED Talks yeah, about, about female, TED empowerments. Talks female empowerments. Female empowerments?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Multiple. <laughs> all of them. All of them.
0: All of the empowerments. Um, right. Facilitating more education about your show theme.
1: And not every single homework assignment is gonna be like, write an essay. You don't have to have like a huge final project for every single year that you do this, right? Like, you don't have to be like, oh, yes, I know you signed up for Color Guard, but I need you to write three essays for me by the end of the season. Please write your 45-page
0: dissertation complete in APA (laughs) format with citations and footnotes.
1: Yeah, like, you don't have to be like, I need you to make, like, a five-minute-long PowerPoint presentation about how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, because that's what our show's about. (laughs) You know, like, you don't have to make it huge. You know, we did our show about um, mental health and, like, the Hug Me Show, right? Um, hold on. Uh, the Hug, the hug, hug me. me Show. It was the Hug but, Me Show. <laughs> um, you know, we had a homework assignment that was like, I need you to go and find a song, find a piece of music, or, like, a spoken word or something that makes you feel these deep emotions, that makes you feel, you know, the the emotions that we're trying to convey, and we, you know, talked about what those emotions were. But then everybody brought back, you know, a song, and we put those songs in a playlist, and we would listen to that playlist when we stretched.
0: You want to know what Conan's song was? Objects in Space. That's what it was by La La Dispute, right? All those songs are still in my phone. Yeah. Because I knew that when I did that, right, it gave you guys something that you could connect with, and then all of our warm ups and across the floors and basics were set to those songs. Yeah.
1: When we sat down, so we sat down and we listened through these songs, right? And, you know, you hear and you get a feel of, like, all of these different emotions that come through the music, right? And you know, like, this is somebody's song. Somebody's feeling this, right? This is somebody's, this is somebody's song. It really gave me a moment not only to connect with the piece of art that we were making and the piece of art that we were helping to create, but also to connect with other people on the team on a deeper level that I previously had.
0: It helped you guys connect as performers. It helped us as a staff understand where each of our performers' mindsets kind of were. I mean, I literally remember standing in power poses. Yeah, like we're gonna put on "Don't Stop Believing." That's my jam. At the time, at the yeah. time, it's not anymore. But at the time, whenever I needed to be like, "Go get him, Tiger!" I'd put on "Don't Stop Believing." I'd stand in a power pose and stare at the mirror. Now <laughs> it's shaken <laughs> off by Taylor Swift, but that wasn't out at the time. Um, and I remember standing there with you guys. And I know that there were a lot of you guys that were like, "Oh my gosh, we're laughing and we're like kind of uncomfortable and this seems weird," but it allowed you to just sit in that uncomfortable yes. space and feel what everybody else is feeling mm-hmm. and, and get that. The affiliate that we have in Georgia right now, their show is based on disco. And you know, I just, last weekend, she was like, oh, we have this thing. We have this community performance that we put on every year and it's literally in the middle of winter and I have no control, like I ha- we have to do it, it's a thing. But we literally have to take a week. We have no rehearsal in the middle of January. We just chunk it out and we go do this community performance. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, how do we keep your kids still active, still engaged, still learning? I went to YouTube and I was like, Studio 54. I found an eight-minute documentary on Studio 54. That's really cool. They can watch that when they're driving in the car on the weekend to go see Grandma. They can watch that on the bus on the way to school. They can watch that um, on, you know... So many different places where you're asking them to take time, but it doesn't necessarily have to be oppressive Huge. in the amount of time, yeah. right? Like it's not impacting them in any way. If you can use your homework to help them understand what the goal and objective of their performance is, it can translate in their head. Because oftentimes, especially if you base your homework on things that are like performance related, a lot of times kids get in their heads and they don't want to do the things that you're asking them to do. You know, one of the phrases that that came out of a fusion was the dumber you feel the better better you you look the better you look right because it gets kids out of their head they think like oh if i'm doing this everyone's watching me yeah they are watching you but they're not like they're not like watching you right they're watching your group and so if you're not doing it to the same level that the other four people are because you think you look dumb it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy you kind of do at that point because you don't look like your other teammates and they're like why is why is back left becky different Right? So the dumber you feel, the better you look. And if you can give them homework that helps enhance their performance quality, their motivation for why they're there helps solidify that cons- that, that the concept of why they're there. What's their mm. goal? What are they trying to achieve? It's, it's going to be better off all around. Yeah. Games are another really important thing. And I say games, Huge. I'm not talking like, you know, sorry and percheesy. I say games one year i literally we were doing boxes or cones or carves i don't know something in some basics block and a, a host of kids were missing but the kids that were there were just mentally checked out they were like it's february 18th we're tired we're done we're not doing the thing we're all sick we feel awful i put on the macarena and i made them stand in a circle and do the macarena together and then i was like okay does everybody feel good and they were like mm-hmm. and i was like all right chicken dance time we put on the chicken dance <laughs> And when they started, some of them were just doing the regular chicken dance, and then some of them did this wacky thing where instead of just clapping four times, they were clapping up here and then clapping underneath their leg, which was like an added movement challenge that some of them could do, but not mm-hmm. all of them could do it. But then some of them saw the other ones doing it, and then they tried to do it, and then and then suddenly when, like, the first time that they were supposed to grab hands and spin in the circle, they were like, ha, 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 ha by the last time they had to spin in the circle, the circle was big and they were everywhere. I mean, they were getting their energy out. They were holding hands, engaged as a team. They were having fun. Again, they were achieving kind of something, they didn't know this maybe at the time, but they were achieving something bigger than just themselves. And it got them out of that static February sucks mindset.
1: If you guys know the Cotton Eye Joe or like something really, really easy that like most people know, or it's like generally common knowledge. Like you could, throw that into a rehearsal and take, like, five, ten minutes. Like, absolutely. I mean, because also think about it. Like, if your kids are, like, super down in the dumps and, like, mentally checked out, like, how much progress are you making in that five or ten minutes anyway? Like, take the five or ten minutes, have fun. Right,
0: break the concentration, (laughs) get them in a better mood. Yes. Like, a better mindset, a better frame of mind to be like, okay... We did the fun thing. I moved in my body my heart rate's going a little bit. I'm ready to buckle down and do the thing. Mm-hmm.
1: You don't want to take a game that's going to be like, let's sit down and not move for 10 minutes. I mean, I suppose you could, but this is like a movement-based activity. So like you don't, I mean, you don't want to sit them down for too long and have their bodies be like at rest and then be like, okay, now we're going to go back and run the show. Yeah, right. Um, Like you don't want to turn their bodies off Right. to play the game Right. and then go back to it. So like, with games make sure that like you're still moving to you know some some extent
0: or if you don't if it's a game where you don't need to move mm-hmm. that you plan that at the beginning or the end of yes. rehearsal so that it doesn't impact that it doesn't let their muscles get cold we did one yeah. i loved this game the haha game and i think the haha game's great especially at the beginning of a season because you do have to put your body on another human's body and you've got another human's body on your body which Sounds maybe not so great. And especially if you're a new team and you're kind of trying to build, like people are like uncomfortable and they're like, oh, she's touching me. Oh, I don't know this for back left Becky. I don't know her. Right. (laughs) But it helps your kids build some trust with one another, which if you're trying to get them to do the thing collectively, they need to trust one another. The haha game is a great way to accomplish that. And so for anybody who doesn't know what the ha game is, um, you lay them in a mm, zippered line type fashion. They all lay on the ground on their back. Person one lays and then person two lays perpendicular to them with the person two's head on person one's stomach. And then person three lays their head on person two's stomach. And then over and over, it's kind of like a zippered effect. You give the kids each their number. Right? If I'm the first person in the row, I'm number one, the second person number two, so on and so forth. They have to say the word ha, and they have to say it just like that. Ha, not like ha, ha right? The point is, my head is on your stomach. Every time you say ha, my head's going to jolt, right? <laughs> so they have to say ha for the number of times of their position in the line. So the first person literally just has to say ha. The second person says ha ha. Third person, ha ha ha, right? And you go all the way down the line. Now, the trick is getting person 14 to remember that they are person 14. Now they've done their head like this 13 different times. Their whole body is shaking. The goal is that no one can laugh. It's impossible, right? When you do this the first time, the more kids you have, the longer it takes, yes. the more you have to get out the giggles, but it helps build trust. It gets them kind of out of that like structured mind frame. It does a lot of different things, but um, yeah. it does take sometimes a lot of time. And so having opportunities for games like that, super important. Yeah. Another one that's kind of good to help them as at an overall sort of thing. Um, and we always used to put this on our student leadership to facilitate is um, themed rehearsals in terms of dress. Yes. So today is blue themed. Wear your blue. Today is old costume day. Today is space galaxy themed. Today is superhero themed. Like a million and one ways that you can get them engaged. And if you can make it so that it supports your theme of your show even better. Mm-hmm. Um you can give it to student leadership, you can make it a poll, you can put it on Band and let the kids collectively decide um and the more you can get kids engaged in that, the better off you'll be. And and it generally works out better for you, especially if you're saying like it's a blue day, everybody wear blue. It's a lot easier to clean bodies when everybody kinda looks the same. Yeah. So your your creativity in the game slash homework slash team binding area can help you facilitate team culture, can help you get rid of the ick of February, can help enhance your theme and your performance quality. Um but you have to be purposeful in your planning and how you do it. Yeah. And I'm back with my warmed up coffee. Maybe a little too much cream this time, it's a little light, but <clears throat> you know, it is what it is.
1: So I just want to talk about one more thing, and that is with the tension that builds as people are getting grumpy and sick.
0: And even things like, you know, Becky got to go up and accept the award, and I wanted to, and now I'm upset with Becky. Or Mm -hmm. you remember when you were a kid and you would like, you had a friend in the neighborhood that you were best friends at the start of summer vacation, but by like mid-July you were like, I hate this person. Because you've (laughs) literally spent so much time with them, you're just like, I'm annoyed by their idiosyncrasies, like I can't do it anymore. When you have spent several months kind of creating this like family, families don't always get along. Sometimes you're irritated and you're like, I hate my brother. This sucks, right? Mm -hmm. So you have that tension. You have that drama. And I would argue that it often comes out in staff, too. I don't think we recognize that often. I think as staff, we're kind of like, we're here and we're in charge and we're leaders and it's the thing. So how do you kind of help dissipate that tension and that drama and keep things As dysfunctional family less as possible.
1: Yeah. So something that I like to do at the very beginning of, of every season. First thing we do is we set goals and expectations and just generally guidelines. So I ask them like, you know, what do you want to get out of the season? Like, here are the guidelines, like don't be late, like da-da-da-da-da. But something that I like to include is assume positive intentions and and we've talked about this a little bit, but you know, people in this activity generally are not gonna be like rah, 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 and like super mean and angry and like ill intended
0: We're performing artists, my God, we're creatives, yeah. and we're like, everything would be great if it was hearts and flowers.
1: <laughs> yeah, so something I like to talk about with the kids is like <clears throat> assuming those good intentions. If somebody is saying like, hey, I noticed that your drop spin was like here, on one and not here on one don't assume that they're saying that because they're mad at you and right? they like, think that you're horrible you're like, a
0: train wreck of a person you shouldn't even be spinning why are you here go home yeah no, that's not it no i, like I mean it. i
1: also tell my kids like to not give each other like a ton of corrections because like that's why i'm here you know i'm being What about yourself i'm being paid to give you <laughs> corrections like becky is not like a trained professional who's giving you corrections so i you know i try and have them keep that minimal but telling them like assuming the good intentions because like you know your teammates are your teammates they're right. your team like, right you know they're not there to be an obstacle for you and to make your life horrible and to like belittle you and bully you like they're everybody is there to have a good time So let's have a good time. Right. (laughs) But so for winter, when we get to that point of people are like, you're, you need to point your foot. Like if a kid is like, you need to point your foot, like being like, okay, she's kind of having a moment and I might be having a moment, but I need to remember that like, she's saying it because she wants the team to look good. Not because she hates me. Right. Right. Because we both want what's best for the team. And that means looking good. And that means pointing my toes.
0: Right. And I think that's important to maybe have that conversation. If that is, and I think it should be, part of your culture, right? Mm-hmm. Helping people to understand how they deal with constructive criticism and yeah. how they f- how they handle feedback that they get about their own performance and behaviors. If, if you understand from the get-go that these aren't personal attacks and that we're doing it because we only want you to get better, it helps you look at it and go, okay, well, maybe I thought my foot was pointed and they didn't. Maybe my foot was pointed and they just, they saw me, but really, they thought they saw me, but really they saw the p- person behind me. And then next time, make it a point. Make Use that as motivation to make you better. Articulate your foot just a little bit more. Point it just a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Lift the thigh just a little bit more. Cross the thigh a little bit more. Like, whatever it is that you need to do to enhance that skill, use that motivation. When I was at Frasier, I had a staff member who, along about February, the kids were really frustrated because she would teach in a way that varied. It wasn't her show. It wasn't her choreography. And when they didn't pick it up and she had to reteach it, when she did teach it, on Tuesday she taught it that this was count five. And then on Thursday, this was count five, right? Right. And the kids would be like frustrated and be like, she's not teaching us consistently. We don't understand. We don't know what we're supposed to be achieving because she's not teaching it consistently. When they set those things to her, she was not having it. When I came to her and said, don't take it personally, recognize that you as a human don't function in memory skills. Maybe we need to record you doing the work so that you have a video reference and can go back and go, guys, I don't know, I'm human. I don't remember where count five is. Let me pull up my video. Mm -hmm. Oh, whoops, it's here, so sorry, and move on, right? Teaching people, whether it's your performers or your staff or yourself, because I'm still working on this, (laughs) teaching yourself how to be growth-minded, how to accept positive critique, and then saying, why? Why is it important that I teach them correctly? Why is it important for their success that I am consistent? Well, it's important because they're not gonna achieve it if they don't know what they're supposed to be aiming for to achieve. I need to be more consistent. How, how do I do that? Because the follow-up to why, friends, is how. (laughs) Why, what is the problem? What do I need to fix? And then how, how do I get there? How do I fix it? And so. Being critical in understanding, like you said, setting the expectations in the beginning, being growth minded, accepting the critique and recognizing that, like, we are all here because we have one goal in mind. And that is the show of ex-Wintergaard. <laughs> I almost said travesty again. Travesty Wintergaard. let yes, hold her name. <laughs> um, you know, <clears throat> has a piece called The Life and Times of Travesty Wintergard. And it's all about our mental struggles. Like. Do I know what the expectations are? And can I put forth my best product? Mm -hmm. And if we recognize that we're all in the same boat, just trying to achieve the same goal and we might need different accommodations to get there, that's really how to be Mm -hmm. successful. Um, But yeah, so I would say the three most important things are like effective planning, providing multiple opportunities in multiple different ways. Think outside of the box always question, ask why, answer how, and then communication. Mm -hmm. Those are like the three main keys to success and making it through February. Because February sucks.
1: February (laughs) sucks. I hate February. Real.
0: Because at least January, you're still kind of rolling off the high of like, it was was the holidays and it's snow and it's winter and competitions coming up, right? Then February is just like dreary and you're tired and you're tired of doing basics and you're tired of all of it. And then March is like... (gasps) The season's going to end, but, like, suddenly you get, like, peaks of the sun and, like, some yeah. birds chirping. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to make it through this winter. you're yeah, like, I,
1: I feel like a person a again. A
0: human. Yay. Yay. Like, February is just, like, the armpit of the winter. The it's...
1: armpit <laughs> of the winter. That's it's the so worst. Accurate, though.
0: It's so real. Right. It, it's just, it's gross. It's dark. It's sweaty. It's yucky. It's smelly. There's oftentimes, it's like, sweet. gross things going on. It, yeah. The right. roads
1: are gross. The weather is gross. The sky is gross. People are sick and gross. My
0: mentality is in the toilet. Like, all of it. Like, yeah. all of February is gross. just, like, and, yeah. right, and you're trying, you have so much to do and literally never enough time, so you constantly feel behind. You're constantly trying to make up for it. Um, you're trying to cram the rest of your show on the floor and fill the show and perform the show and be
1: great at the show and yeah. show, 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 and, and you're and just your like. keep your kids ah. alive and healthy and keep them happy and motivated and, like, keep yourself happy and And drama and, like, free and, yeah. like,
0: improving the score and building the skills and so, like, creating. creating. Creating the art and like just like everything. Like everything comes crashing down in February, and you're just like seven trains with seven conductors on four tracks that narrowly cross paths and the conductors are screaming the entire time. That is the literally literal representation of February.
1: Yeah.
0: That is literally the way I feel. Um I think that's it. I think that's all we're doing for February. Um But we're going to talk about um, kind of what you spend your time doing in March, right? You're nuancing, you're performing, you're cleaning, you're cleaning by the quarter counts. um, You're getting ready for circuit championships. You're Mm -hmm. um, finalizing extra costume pieces. You know, you always want to save that like... That one little special moment for your final performance. You know, you've got the sequins that fly out of your flags during your feature, or a different set of makeup, or like some, you know, funky, special little moment that you're putting Mm -hmm. in your show for March. Um, so how do you do that? How do you achieve it? That's yeah. what we're going to talk about. And
1: like finalizing like any traditional things that you do during that time. Traditions
0: so like, and yeah. gifts and yep. are you having a team paper dinner? Oh God, paper plate <laughs> awards. Those are my favorite. Yeah. And what are you doing at the awards at your circuit championships? What gift are you giving them there? Is it a flower lei? Mm-hmm. Is it, Is it like a hat sunglasses? Like, like a little flag? We did fun I mean, flops every year. The yeah. fun flops were always... Every Those year I was really like, we're cute. making the five flops. And then every year as I sat cutting like yards and yards and yards of fleece, I was like, why you did right, I why? do this? I hate this. Everything about the end of your season and the culmination and how to get the most out of your show and how to make the most opportunity for your performers and create that family and, and have that kind of experience yeah. um, is what's on deck for March. Sponsors... Our sponsors this month, friends, so again, call Funeral Home. I'm going to say things the right way. Oh, God, Mackenzie and I had a good laugh about this last week. If you have funeral service needs, check out call Funeral Home. They are located in Metro Detroit. If you have any computer or networking or IT service needs, call Justin Nays at uh, PC Shards in Washington Township, Michigan. And also, um, our newest sponsor is Jill Z Designs. Um, Jill is not only our graphic designer, but runs her own graphic design business. Um, I've been working with her for a really long time. She's really great at what she does. So if you have t-shirt needs, if you have jacket needs, if you have, I need help with my social media, um, if you run a business that isn't color guard related, she's there to help you with everything. She is the human that when I run out of creativity and I'm like, I got nothing. (laughs) <laughs> I call her and she helps uh, support Evoke uh, with her creativity. Um, so call Jill if you have any graphic design needs. And if you're interested in bec- if you're interested in becoming an Evoke sponsor, uh, send me an email, monica at evokepc.com um, and we can let you know about all of the benefits and things that come along with being an Evoke sponsor uh, for coffee and cones, Color Guard with Conan. I'm going to shamelessly plug some of our products here yeah, too, right? To say, like- so we've got this new program, Friends, that we've launched called EPC Certify. It has three different levels for instructor training. We have a growth development coordinator a growth development instructor and a director at large so if you want to go out and do the thing and you're new or you need help or you just even if you've been doing it for a long time um, these classes that we have come together and created as a staff are here to help you you understand your sheets you can build your musicality skills you can learn how to write better choreography with your sheets in mind you can work Smarter Not Harder, you know uh, the smoke and mirrors concept and the whole planning. Um, All of that is in our EPC certified program. We also have our EPC readiness program, which is our community education program. So we have one class running currently, Conan is in charge of that. Um, But we're starting a new program. Um, It's supposed to be launching hopefully this week uh, called the Tetrahedron Experience. Um, and it's going to be a community type color guard project where you only need either some training experience with us or color guard experience in general. You can come in. It's a four week program, two hours twice a week. We're putting on a competitive show and we're going to record that number and send it into a virtual competition, um, in early April. So if you want to be a part of it come stay tuned to our social media so that you can be part of the Tetrahedron experience. So we are on Facebook. At Evoke Performance Collective. We are on Instagram at Evoke PC. And we're on TikTok, I think also as evoke PC. And yeah, so we've got that, we've got Sundays with Scott. Uh the fourth Sunday at 4 p.m. You can meet with our director at large, Scott Bennett. He's got so much information that's so helpful. For $5 a month, you can come and be part of that webinar. Or if you want to purchase it a year at a year at a time, you get a $10 discount. So it's only $50 for the year instead of 60 We have a connecting the dots class. If drill and design um, isn't your thing, like I once heard someone say, I just move my kids around like Sims until I like the way it looks. Oh, my God, don't do that. Come take our design course. Uh, We're going to teach you how to build a horizontal map. We're going to teach you how to stage your moments. We're going to teach you how to be more effective with your transitions and how to put it all together. How do I drill? I think that's that's a a struggle that a lot of young instructors have. Um, so that one. Um, we also have a class that's going to debut in April with Issa Lewis of Ace Guard in Michigan called Attention to Detail, The Finer Points. And it's literally going to be watching groups and learning the really important points of, like we talked about earlier in this episode, are their shoulders in alignment? Are their shoulders parallel to the floor? Are they flat? Are they even? Are their hips in the right place? Are their feet in the right place? Like All of those things that just your flags are going up together and coming down together, yes, but are they using the same muscle Are they going through the same pathways in space and how you as an instructor can watch that and learn how to critique your students so that they can be cleaner and you are trained and not rehearsed. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can, again, you can purchase that class. It's a four, uh, I'm sorry, it's a three lesson class. Connecting the Dots is four lessons. We also are going to have new content launching hopefully in March or April with Iggy talking about um, how you as an instructor can enhance your own skills, how to learn more about yourself um, to be a better instructor, how you can um, motivate your students and how all of that goes into the planning of your show and being effective at your planning and effective at what you're doing. So stay tuned for that to come. Um, friends, And then we also have, if you are in Michigan and listening, we have the EPC extravaganza. We have one that's going to be in the Atlanta a- uh, area in April. We have two days where we're going to be in Georgia. The 22nd and 23rd will be in Georgia. Come out and see us. Um, we have one scheduled for May on the west side of Michigan. Um, some of our uh, friends on the west side are going to host a, a, a day long, possibly same thing, two days long at two different locations in May. And then we have a week-long summer camp coming, the 19th through the 23rd of June where you can come up and if you're an instructor you can come and get instructor training you can do this connect the dots this attention to detail you can do that with us while your students are in a gym learning better stamina and conditioning dynamic stretching how to have better movement skills how to have better equipment skills um, learning some different tips and tricks while they put together an entire winter guard show basically in one week. You can come, there are gonna be discounts available at that camp for um, if you're bringing a certain number of students, you get a discount. If you bring a lot of students, you get a bigger discount. And so you can come and learn as an instructor while your students are learning, you can get better as a team, as a whole. Um, So I encourage you to be on the lookout for our extravaganza events. And, you know, come and learn from us because we, we have a whole host of people. I know we've brought on a lot of new staff recently. So we've got lots of people to, to help learn and facilitate content with just a whole host of things. So I'm super excited and really looking forward to June to being able to kind of get things out there for people. So if you're in the area, any of those areas, be on the lookout, check us out on socials, stay tuned for more information coming on those events and then register on our website and join us. Yep. Cool.
1: So thanks for joining us, and we will see you in March.
0: Yeah, see you later, friends. Bye. Bye.